0: book of Mark chapter 14 this morning that kids can be dismissed to children. Hey, it's good to be together. Whether you're here with us, whether you're online with us today, that uh, they may have been watching the news recently. (laughs) Yeah, there are plenty of things going on, aren't there? As we think about the, uh, uh, the stock market, first of all, some of you I know are concerned about the stock market, think Friday was a much better day, but the bouncing around of that and then certainly of the COVID virus Uh, The COVID-19, coronavirus, it's it's a virus. It's something that's having an unprecedented impact in our world. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I know many of you would be in the same boat. As we think about the nation of Italy being under quarantine, I mean, a whole nation. As we think about travel between Europe and the United States has been banned. The NFL, the NHL, Major League Soccer, baseball, they've all postponed their seasons. What month is this? March. So what else has been canceled? Yeah, I'm not really sure to be fair to say that March Madness has been canceled. It's just been replaced with a different kind of madness. But the NCAA tournament has indeed been canceled. And we think about all the impact of that. I mean, even Disney, the Smithsonian are closed until the end of the month. Uh, colleges are sending kids home from school. Uh, we recognize schools around here are going to be closed for a few weeks based on this. Think about store shelves that are, are of cleaning supplies, hand hand. Tans- hand sanitizer, disinfectant wipes, and toilet paper, for some reason, are empty. And um, kind of my side joke on that is I know we're not supposed to be shaking hands because of the coronavirus. I was concerned about shaking hands with toilet paper shortages. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm washing my hands for whatever reason. But as we think about that, our government leaders and those around the world are taking significant action to try to slow this virus. And as we recognize, it's important for us to act wisely. We need to act wisely to protect ourselves, but also to love our neighbors. Um, it would be foolish and unwise for us to be careless and think, I don't think it's a big deal, but, uh, which is fine if that's where you are, but wash your hands before you go see your grandma, right? And to demonstrate love for others as we would uh, demonstrate that kind of a kindness. But as we consider this being a time in the COVID-19, we have to remember that our God is sovereign that God is still on his throne, that none of this has surprised him, that none of this has surprised our God, that these type of things have been confronted with us as a people and us as a nation, as God's people throughout, throughout history. And we have a God who is sovereign, a God who's not only sovereign, but a God who's good. He, he is good and he is purposeful. And we don't know all the things that are going on and all the reasons why this must, might be taking place, but one thing we do know is that God wants to use this in our lives to help us become more like Jesus. That we would be people that are exercising wisdom, that we are seeking to be very wise is how we proceed in the midst of this. But that we would also be a people that are filled with faith rather than fear. That, that we would act with, with confidence, that we would act with wisdom, that we would act with faith, and that we would demonstrate that our confidence is not ultimately in the inability to catch the virus, Our hope is not ultimately in the ability of our government to maybe keep us safe, that our confidence is in our Lord, Lord, and that we rest in Him whatever comes our way. And this morning's message is, um, I've called the confidence on display. As we think about going through trials, that where our confidence is placed is always going to be on display, that the passage we're talking about is in Mark chapter 14, verse 53, and last week we were the passage right before this. And I think about how God often orchestrates preaching messages in times of what's going on. And it's clear to me that he's orchestrated us to be in Mark chapter 14 verses 53 to 52, 72 today because of a lot of things going on. My big goal as I speak this morning is this, that, that this text will encourage you, that this text will encourage you to be confident in the face of trials confident in the face of trials because you trust the will of the father and because you love the son. And we're going to trust the will of the father and the love of the son that that would give us confidence. So let's look at our text this morning. In the book of Mark chapter 14, verse 53 is where we'll begin. And they led Jesus to the high, to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he, was, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness, some saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about their testimony, even their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and said to Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent, and he made no answer. And again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ? The son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds from heaven. And the high priest tore his robes. He tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him and say, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began saying to those, the bystanders, This man is one of them. But he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are of them. You are of the Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed. The rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how the Lord Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is a familiar setting as we think about moving in towards the Easter season. And as we see in the context of our passage, Jesus has just recently been betrayed and arrested. The disciples have all fled from him and he's taken into the to the Jewish council, the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. This group of 70 men plus the high priest, it was made up of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. This court is convened in the middle of the night, a time that the court's not supposed to meet. They've convened in the middle of the night. They've been brought together to hear a case. a hear a case, listen, that has been brought to them because of a bribe and a betrayal. And they're standing before, this, before Jesus and recognizing that they have what they wanted. They have Jesus. And Judas has what he wanted. Judas wanted his 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus is on trial. And in verse 54 it says, or 53 and 54, it says they led him to the high priest. And then in verse 34, 54 it tells us about Peter. It says, And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And so as we think about our setting, it's like it's a dark night. It's a time when the, it's chilly out. And so Peter sits by the fire and he's warming himself by a fire. The guards are there around him as well. And, and, he, and it's in the courtyard of the high priest. And so at, at a distance, G, Peter can see some vague ideas of what's going on. But he's sitting at a distance. In our passage then, it, it shifts back to Jesus. And what Mark's doing here in verses 54, he's going to take a break in this narrative about Peter, and he's going to talk about Jesus and tell us what happens with Jesus, and then he's going to come back to Peter. Mark does this throughout his gospel. He, he, he introduces an idea and then introduces another one and then completes it, It's kind of like a sandwich. And in this, we see Peter being contrasted with Jesus. And we're going to see their confidence of these two individuals, Jesus and Peter. And Peter's bold declaration just, just within an, a few hours earlier, what was his bold declaration at the Last Supper? That he would never what? That he would never deny, even if I have to die with you. And we saw some of that boldness in the garden when Jesus was arrested, that Peter, as Jesus, Jesus is being arrested, pulls out his sword and cuts off Matthias's ear. Jesus healed them, and Peter and others depart, him, depart from him. And in this place, we see Peter, and, and it's interrupted. And so in verse 55, it goes back to Jesus, and it says, The chief priests and the whole council, listen to what it says, they were seeking testimony against him to put him to death, but they found none. And so what have they determined? They've determined the sentence. The sentence is what? Death. He is worthy of death. What's the crime? They don't know yet. right? They don't have a crime that they're in charge of him with or testimony or evidence to a- accomplish that. But they're sure they want him dead. I mean, so much for due process. right? So much for being innocent until proven guilty. They not have only determined he's guilty. They're not sure what. But he's guilty, but he's deserving of death. And so they go about the process of trying to figure out what, charge, what can we charge him with so that he will be put to death? And our passage tells us that what happens, it says in verse 50, at the end of verse 55, they brought testimony against Jesus, but they found none. That says in verse 56, For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. The agreement among, testimony, among witnesses is really important. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19, we are told that for somebody to be convicted of the crime, as a Jewish person, that there had to be agreement between two witnesses. If there wasn't agreement between two witnesses, you you can't charge someone with the crime. And so they're having these witnesses come and nobody agrees. And we see the manner in which this court has been put together in a very, very quick manner. A few weeks ago, we saw that the chief priests, all these people, they wanted to put Jesus to death, but they wanted to wait until what? Yeah, I remember a few weeks ago, they wanted to wait until after the Passover, after the feast and all that, because there's so many people around. So they're thinking, okay, in a week or so, we'll try to make all this happen. But all that got sped up, ultimately because of God's sovereign plan, because the Messiah is going to die on the Passover, But it gets moved up because Judas goes to the high priest and says, I'll tell you where he is. I I will betray him. I will give him over to you if you'll give me 30 pieces of silver. They see the opportunity and they jump. And so their plans aren't really firm yet. And so they have these ideas and they now have Jesus, but they don't have a crime. And there's this false witness and they're not agreeing. And so even, I mean, what he's saying is even the liars don't agree. They're they're holes in their testimony. In verse 57 it says, And and some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands in three days, and I will build another not made with hands. Now, if we're just reading the book of Mark, we don't have record of that. But we read the book of John, we realize Jesus did say that he was going to destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it up again. And when Jesus said that, what temple was he speaking of? He's speaking of a temple of his body. He, he didn't say, I'm going to tear down this physical building. And yet that was the charge. And so there the charge has come. Somebody else says something and realizes, Man, you guys, nobody's agreeing here. And, and so it tells us at the, end of, at the end in verse 59, yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And so far, three times we've been told, The testimony doesn't agree. They don't have any evidence. The testimony doesn't agree. Clear that Jesus is innocent. And so in verse 60, what happens? So the high priest in the middle of all this, the high priest stands up. The high priest in the middle of this stands up and and he asks Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent. Why would Jesus, I mean, let's, let's just pause why remain silent well we know that jesus is like a lamb before his shear is silent slaughter silent so we know that part of it but the other part of it is why does he have anything to say right i mean none of the witnesses have agreed it's almost as though jesus is silence here if he would say anything he's given credibility to their charges I mean, you've got these nothing agrees, and he's the, the chief priest is frustrated because they don't agree. He says, aren't you going to say anything? And it's like, why would I say anything? I mean, there's nothing that you guys have said that would, would have, hold any water. So Jesus is silent. And, and in the midst of this, then the high priest, what happens? In verse 61, but he remained silent and no, made no answer. And again, the pri- high priest asked him, are you the Christ? the Son of the Blessed. And he asks him directly, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we have been waiting on for all of these years? Now, what does a high priest think about that answer? Whatever answer Jesus gets, what's he already concluded? And he's not the high priest. He's not the Christ. Right? There's no way he could be the- He's He only- already has that determined in his mind, but he directly asks Jesus. But he doesn't say simply, are you the Christ? He says, the son of the blessed and and he calls him the son of the blessed because the very religious jews at the time the pious jews they avoided using the name of god they avoided using the name of god because they believed it was so holy and it was, was so separate that they didn't even want to use the name of god so rather than saying are you the son of god they said are you the son of the blessed that's kind of their way of seeking to honor god but Jesus knows exactly what he, they, they're asking, and Jesus says to them, He answers, I am. And, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. They've not been able to charge Jesus with any crime. They, he's done no wrong. He's, done, he's not broken any of their laws. And now He asked the, the high priest ask Him directly, are you the Christ? Which... If you're on trial and somebody's asking you for a direct answer that would incriminate you, what do we typically plead? I plead the fifth, right? I'm not going to incriminate myself. What does Jesus say? I am. Because Jesus knows this is the will of the Father, and Jesus knows that if he answers this question that he is going to be put to death, but I believe that Jesus is ensuring he is put to death for the reason he came. He's the Christ. He is the Messiah. And if you're going to find me guilty, you're going to find me guilty for the right reason. That's who I am. And we see then the high priest in verse 63. It says, and the high priest tore his garments, and he said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? It's interesting. He asked the question, but does he weigh any evidence? Not at all. He doesn't even consider that this one who was he, they've heard stories of, he's born of a virgin, he's lived this life that's remarkable life that nobody could find any dirt on, Who has been he fed 5,000 people at one time, 4,000 at another. He's heard stories about him walking on water. He's had some of his very own other priests witness him heal people, raise people from the dead, cure leprous people. They've seen him doing incredible miracles, speaking with truth, speaking with authority, and utterly rejecting him. And they reject him not because the evidence is there, not because that, that it's unbelievable that he could be the Messiah, but because they don't want to believe. Because their hearts are hard. And it tells us what is the consequences of, of this. It says that they all condemned him as deserving of death. As we look at this passage, some things we see from this is that Jesus, in the midst of this, he is trusting the will of the Father. He prayed just a few hours earlier, Father, take this cup from me. He doesn't want to face the wrath of the Father. And he prays three times and he realizes this is the Father's will. And he prays, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus submits himself to the will of the Father. We see Jesus then submitting himself to the court that wants to put him to death. He doesn't fight against it. He's not pushing against it. He is not denying that he's the Christ. He doesn't try to get out of this. He submits himself to this kangaroo court hastily put together, put together at a time it's not supposed to, the manner in which they're trying him, he submits himself to it, knowing that they want to put him to death. But Jesus then also, he refuses, That he refused to answer their false accusations, that they're making these charges, he remains silent. He's not going to answer their false accusations. But when the high priest asks him, are you the Christ, he declares clearly that he is. He says that he is the I am. As we see that in our passage in verse 62, Jesus says, I am. And if we are reading our Bibles well, we are reminding, oh, that sounds like the burning bush when God was speaking to Moses, saying that, I am. And this language about Jesus, the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds, those are Old Testament reflections of the book of Daniel, talking about one who comes and. Like the Son of Man to the Ancient of Days, and has given a kingdom that lasts forever. It's also a reflection of Psalm 110, verse 1. In Psalm 110, verse 1, Jesus, or David, is says to, he says in that passage, He says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. What did Jesus say? I am. And you're going to see the Son of Man. You will see me seated at the right hand of the Father. In many ways, Jesus is saying to them, listen, you're judging me now? Wait. You're going to see me again. And they understand this. They understand clearly what Jesus is saying. They understand that he is saying that he is the Messiah, but he is also saying that he is God. And their response is, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. And they condemn him to death, and it tells us as a result of that what happens to Jesus. It says, and some began to spit on him, to cover his face, and to strike him, saying, prophesy, and the guards received him with blows. As We see the high priest and the council, they respond with rage, with rage against Jesus, and they begin to beat him, and he receives it. And he receives that ultimately for us. They treat him with contempt. And yet in the midst of all this, Jesus humbly follows the will of the Father. He humbly follows the will of the Father. And in this, we see that Jesus' confidence is in the Father. That he has surrendered his will not to do his own thing, but the will of the Father, and is receiving all that that requires But our text then goes back to Peter. And in verse 66, it says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, so Jesus is in an elevated position at a distance. Peter's down here in the courtyard. It says, One of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, looked and said, You were with the Nazarene, Jesus. And it's interesting because her statement is, You were what? Merely that... You're with him, not identifying as a disciple. You were with him, and what is Peter's response? And he denied it. He says, "I neither know or understand what you mean. I have no idea what you're talking about. I I mean, I don't know Jesus Nazareth. I don't know any of that." And and look at what the text says in the next passage. It says at the end of verse 68, and he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. I believe that detail, the rooster crowed. It's almost one of these reminders that God's given him. Peter, remember what you said? I'm not gonna die. I'll die with you. Once he just goes about his business, goes on doing his thing, not concerned. And so he's, he's denied Jesus. He doesn't hear this 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 natural reminder. That, that crow's gonna that the rooster's gonna do that again. And Jesus said, I deny him three times doesn't seem to have an impact on Peter. So what happens in verse 69, And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, looking around, hey, hey, this guy, this is one of them. This is one of them. And so the crowd, a little bigger, it's not just the girl now, but now there's a crowd. This is one of them, but again he denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a part of that. And then it goes on and it says, Uh, But again, he denied it, and after a little while, maybe about an hour, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And it's likely that the reason why they identified him as a Galilean was because of the the, the dialect that he may have had, the accent that was on his voice. You know, you're one of those northerners up in Galilee. You're from there, so certainly you know you're identifying with Jesus. In verse 71, though, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. To invoke a curse upon himself is basically saying, may God strike me dead if I know this guy. Invoking a curse. And what has he said just a little bit ago? I will die with you, die for you, but I'll never deny you. And now he's denying himself in a way that could cost him his life. He's he's calling a curse upon himself, and he's swearing, which oftentimes, whenever somebody's trying to really emphasize a point, what do they often do? They don't just make the point get louder, but they start using very colorful language to try to emphasize it. And he is saying, I don't know him at all. I don't know this guy at all. He says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And it's interesting because the first two denials were you're one of them. You you know him. You identify with him. And here it's direct. He says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And what does Peter hear?
1: Cock-a-doodle-doo.
0: And he's convicted. He says, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And as Peter hears that, the conviction comes upon him and he realizes that one that I said I would die for, I have just denied three times exactly like he said he was. I'm thinking and I'm like, Mr. Self, i got this all together. I can handle this. I'll die for you, Jesus. And I have just denied him before a servant girl and some bystanders. No swords, no jail, no trial. I've denied him in this courtyard by the fire. Peter realizing how weak he is. And it says to us, and he broke down and wept. In the book of Luke, we are told that as Peter denied him the third time the rooster crows, that Jesus, at the distance in the court, he turns and he looks at Peter. And the scripture in Luke says that he went out and he wept bitterly. That Peter is convicted by this. And as we seek to put some of these pieces together, what we see Peter in the midst of this While Jesus is trusting the will of the Father, we see Peter trusting his own wisdom. In this passage, we really see two people on trial. Jesus is on trial in a formal court, but Peter is on trial in the courtyard. And Peter, in this, trusts his own wisdom. He refuses to identify with Jesus. I don't know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. He refuses. He doesn't identify with Jesus. And in that denial, he is fulfilling the very words of Jesus. That Jesus said, you will deny me, you will deny me three times. See, Peter had it all backwards. Peter said to Jesus, I will die for you. Jesus Peter, that's not how it works. You're not going to die for me. I'm going to die for you. And Peter, in the midst of that, then, as Peter, regrets then. He rejects Jesus, and he has over, he's overwhelmed with regret. And we recognize in the midst of this, that rejection brings regret. When we deny Jesus, when we turn from Him, whenever we trust our own wisdom, when we get convicted by that, that, that rejection leads to regret. And in the life of Peter, that we will continue and to see and in his life, that this regret led him to repentance to a genuine repentance and realizing that his love for Jesus is true. And so although he's denied Jesus, he will turn back to his Savior at the cross and the resurrection. He will understand the fullness of what Jesus has come to do for him, and he will trust him. And as we consider this passage, we need to be asking ourselves, where is our trust? In the midst of trials that we would face, the pressure of life, whether that be the pressure and the trial of a conflict at work, the pressure of a trial at home, the, the bigger concern of the coronavirus in the stock market, the question mark for us becomes, where is our trust? Where is our confidence? And that confidence is either going to rest in one of two places. It's either going to be rest in us or in God. Am I trusting God and my confidence in him and his promises that he is with me, that he will never leave me or forsake me, that he loves me, that he will provide for me my daily bread? Do I trust him or trusting myself? This is a little uncomfortable. I don't like this and, so I'm going to do everything I can. And so what does that look like in our life, just trusting myself? It looks like a wringing of my hands. I, not washing hands, wringing of my hands. Wisdom washes hands, okay? But I'm wringing my hands because I just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so worried about all of this. I don't know what's going to happen in my retirement. I don't know if I'm going to catch this disease. I don't know when we get toilet paper. I don't know what I'm going to do. With, I, and just worry, worry, worry. And what does that demonstrate? It, do, it demonstrates a lack of confidence. It demonstrates a lack of confidence in a sovereign God who we profess with our lips but very easily deny with our lives. And I would ask you this morning, where is your confidence that we need in the midst of our daily lives? We need to be people who are wise. We need to be exercising wisdom. But we need to be people who are faithful, that we are living out the reality of what we say we confess, that we would live that out. And I would add in the midst of the context of where we live as we see Jesus, how did he respond to this trial? He not only stood firm, he also demonstrated love. He loved us by giving of himself. And I think a very practical way that we can not only be wise, be faithful, but be loving is to be concerned about those around us in these days. That there's a population that have been told, "Don't leave your home." Basically, it is dangerous. That we would love our neighbors enough to check on some of those around us within our own church family. That if we would recognize if there are needs that we could be saying, "How can we help out with those?" And, and listen, I would encourage you. I would, I, you've, if you've done anything with your connection cards yet, you still have those. I'd encourage you maybe to buy me your connection card to say, "Hey, you know what?" I would be available to maybe run the grocery or pick up some stuff if somebody needed that. And there are concerns over the virus, concerns about they might catch something. I'd encourage you right at the bottom. If you say I would be willing to do that, and then if we would have some needs within the church family, if people saying, "Listen, I don't think it's wise for me to get out," that uh, we can connect you and demonstrate some real practical love for our church family. And so that would be you. Just probably bomb the connection card, put in the offering plate. We'll work through those tomorrow. And if there are some needs, and if there are some needs in our church family to become aware of that we can help. Let's, let's do that. Let's be loving. We want to be wise. We want to be faithful. We want to be loving. And we can do this. Why? Because our confidence is not in government, not even in soap or hand sanitizer. Our hope is in the Lord. And let's exercise and demonstrate our confidence in Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us everything that we need. Lord, you've given us everything that we need to be strong, to be confident, to be courageous under trial. And Lord, as we see Jesus demonstrating incredible confidence in you during this this trial, when it was going to cost him his very life, that he willingly surrendered it for us. Lord, when we're under trial, I pray that you would help us to see the temptation in our own hearts to trust ourselves but instead that we would trust you. God, we thank you for the provision that you have given to us in Jesus Christ, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, that we can have the hope of new and eternal life. Lord, a life that is transformed from the inside out now, that helps us to trust you and be confident, even when it seems like our world around us is crumbling. Lord, help us. Help us to be a faithful people. Help us to be a wise people. And help us to be a loving people. Is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: When you hear of God's great love for us, in spite of the trial that he was going through, his love for Peter, uh, it's a great reminder. So I appreciate that challenge this morning. and just gives us an opportunity to praise God for who he is. And a very simple song that we can sing together would be the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Would you stand with me? Let's just sing this a cappella. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. in your bulletin. Um, Pay attention to what comes out via email. Stay and we will keep it if there are important things you need to know. Uh, But enjoy the rest of your day. We will have services tonight. You are dismissed.